Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us. Download the POD cast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes. Uh, waiting ba- waiting for Jeremy here in a second. Uh, he's going to reveal his gorgeous, I'm wait- gorgeous. What, what's, I'm, what? I'm just waiting for a, a proper intro. You're waiting for the proper intro. Okay, well, first off, let's talk to the people and tell hello, folks. We are live on Twitch, and we are here. We're going to tell you what's up on this podcast. We've got a big mailbag for you. Before that, we've got plenty of comments from Dan Campbell. I got asked multiple questions about Dan Campbell. When someone asks someone as insignificant as me about what something Dan Campbell said, it usually means that Dan Campbell said something that is important enough that we will all talk about it. And plenty of that involves the draft coming up including quarterback and other positions, things we've been treading for a while. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, I'm Chris Perfett, the adequate host, at Chris Perfett on Twitter. Also live over at twitch.tv slash no decaf now, D-E-K-A-F, for these uh, pre-shows we've been doing, which have been a lot of fun. And that brings us to Jeremy Reisman, fearless leader at Detroit Online, and Mr. Tie-dyed, the tie-dyed Technicolor mustache himself, Mr. Uh, has his camera still off, Mr. Uh, bisected colors, mustache. Just, just turn on the kit. Let's see, let's see this abomination. Hi, everybody. Oh, yeah, I'm that here. silver really did not come out well at all. It, it didn't come out as well as I was hoping, but uh, yeah. Thanks to everybody for, first of all, uh, not, not a visual medium, I understand, on the podcast, but as a reminder, we did this all because we, uh, we raised over $20,000 during November. So that's right. Um, we raised there you go. $20,000 split between Prostate Cancer Foundation and RAIN, Rave yes. Abuse and Incest National Network. Uh, every November, we grow mustaches. We do Movember. We do our own charity drive. This year will be no different. Yes, we raised a lot. And unfortunately, Jeremy, Jeremy had the great idea last year of dyeing his mustache blue. This time he tried to do a silver and blue for the uh, blue and silver for the for the lions. And I don't think the silver is coming out the way you thought it would come out. It's, it's not, it's, it's more like, you know, it, you know how the, the lions kind of messed up the numbering system of their new uniforms. This is kind of what happened. Like we, we rolled this out thinking it was going to be a nice and vibrant silver. It's really more of like a, an old man dying mustache. So it's not even gray. that you just got like silver. You, you, you got like gray Fox going on here. A little bit, a little bit. It just looks like you just got some gray hairs coming in. Did nothing. Which was already an issue before I even started dying. Yeah. I was going to say, um, Ryan Matthews. Back is the rock guy. At Ryan underscore POD, the third man. Malik champion himself. Hello. Uh, I, I, I dyed my hair once. Hi, Chris. Um, I dyed it blonde. I did that too in high school, I think. Yeah. I tried to do, I tried to do like streaks, highlights. Frosted tips? 
No, I wanted like spots in my hair for some reason. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> it was the nineties, right? We were all yeah. trying weird things. Yeah. We, we, we were. Yeah. I settled on a goatee instead, and I'm not sure that was the right decision. Wow, this got really sad all of a sudden. <laughs> Just sitting here all very sad and depressed. Um, no, we got plenty to talk about on this show. Should we just get right into it? Let's do it. We've got a lot to cover from Dan Campbell. So as I said, Dan Campbell was in the news. He had to sit down. We got to hear a lot from Dan Campbell the past week. He answered a lot of questions leading up to the draft on the 7th. And we're going to go over some of that right now, because usually I don't like, I tell Jeremy a lot. We, I don't usually like going over the pressers, like every podcast, if we can help it. But I feel like some of these are very insightful as we look towards the draft. And uh, I think the big one, Jeremy, right off the bat is quarterback Campbell Campbell, of course, turned heads a little bit when he said that uh, don't really need an elite quarterback and I'm trying to find, do you have the exact quote up? I, yeah, once again, my bookmark just completely vanished. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead. Okay. It's like, so the question I asked to him was, do you believe you need a star quarterback to win sustainably like Mahomes or Allen? And he says, no, let me try to do a Dan Cable. No, I don't think you need, you need that. I think, boy, you love to have that, that type of player because they can improvise. There's things they can do and they can improvise their eyes downfield so they can run your offense, but they're going to do like what they need to do. They just understand it well. They know their reads. But uh, if something just kind of isn't right, they got pocket mobility and they can break it, but their eyes are downfield, those guys are going to hurt you, not just pure runners. It's the ones that can always kind of just keep looking for the next play while moving away from you. I think those guys that are obviously, they're special. And certainly they can give you a better chance. But no, I don't believe you need to have one of those guys to have sustained success. And he says, looking at long-term vision for to ID for the struggling and long-term vision, Basically, when do you expect to take the quarterback? It's like now the right guy is sitting there at the right pick at that position and let's do it. But we like Goff and I like where he's at. He finished strong, keep adding pieces. And then wherever that is next year is this year, two years from now. And the right guy's sitting there. Then you figure out a way to get that guy. You figure out a way when it's the right guy. So obviously, of course, the big question not answered is whether or not someone like Corral or Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett is that right guy, but it's an answer. I feel Jeremy, that's very illuminating that I think we can, even though there was a few mock drafts this week that had the lions taking from the national media hat with the lions taking Malik Willis at number two, it feels like the lions themselves are giving hints that maybe they're not leaning towards Malik Willis. Who knows? Some of it might just be smokescreen at this point too, towards trying to get a team to trade up for Malik Willis or Corral or whoever it might be, but I don't think they'll go quarterback. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of been reading the tea leaves in, in that direction for a while, but, you know, hearing Dan Campbell talk is interesting because I don't think he's very good at lying. I don't think he's very good at throwing up smoke screens. I think he's a very honest person that's going to give a very honest assessment. And, but, but I actually thought he answered the quarterback questions well enough to at least leave a little mystery. Cause I mean, you just ran through that whole quote about needing an elite quarterback. His answer was basically, no, you don't need one, but that, that was at the front and the, and the end of his answer in between was about five sentences about him talking about how awesome it is 
to have an elite quarterback because he can do this. He can do that. He can make things incredibly easy. You can do this. You can do this. You can do that. You can do that. You can do this. But no, you don't need it. Like his his whole answer was basically describing why you do need one. But at, at the beginning, at the end, he's like, no, you don't. need one. He never gave any reasons why you don't need one. So I think that's illuminating. I think, I think that enough tells you that he knows Jared Goff needs to be upgraded at some point. But then the other quote that you threw in there, the, the whole, like, let's build a team. And then when, when that quarterback is there, we do everything we can to get that guy. And if the Lions were going to grab one this year, I don't think he would say something like that because you don't need to do a lot to grab this guy. Like the guy's already there. You have the second overall pick. Jacksonville's not going to take a quarterback. So you have a shot at the best quarterback in this draft. And so you don't have to throw the kitchen sink to get him. He's just there in your lap. And sometimes Um, the kitchen sink doesn't work. Look what happened with the Dolphins. They wanted to move heaven and earth to get Joe Burrow that one year. And the Bengals said, no, there's no price that you can – you can ask to get Joe Burrow from us. We're taking him number one. Sure. But the lines have some draft capital. Um, they can always dig into, into future draft capital. So if, if they like someone really in 2023, not only do they have those two first rounders, but they can dig into 2024 and they can dig into 2025 if they have to. So, um, and, and it sounds like they're prepared to do so, which to me is actually a little bit comforting because I, I, I want them to be aggressive with quarterback when they're comfortable with a guy. And, I don't know everything I I read into this seems like maybe they're they're not that into this draft class even though they know Malik Willis really well even though in in the same you know media session Dan Campbell did say some nice things about about Malik Willis and 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 even uh, Sam Howell a little bit too but yeah if if I'm reading the tea leaves right now it seems to me like we're heading more and more in a direction that does not involve a quarterback in the first round. Ryan, how does that make you feel? <laughs> well, uh, again, I'm not too sure how transparent Dan Campbell can be. I know that he comes off that way. And I know, I think, I think for the most part, right? Like whenever Dan Campbell's in front of a microphone, his authenticity comes through as him being honest. And he was pretty honest here. Right. And like you said, Jeremy, he starts off with this, like, you don't really need an elite quarterback sandwich, but the, the main ingredients all in the middle were like everything that makes a sandwich good. Right. Give me a salami. (laughs) Salami. So I, I, I found that kind of interesting, but, but two things, right? Like one, he just spent so much time in new Orleans where drew Brees wasn't that mobile guy. Right. right. Like, and, and the saints had success with, without a, a mobile quarterback. So I, I, I see that. And I buy that. The other part of it is how, 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 how out there can you be with your love of a quarterback? Because I think that even Jacksonville would be willing to trade out, right? Like, I don't think you can be so transparent about like, yeah, there, there's some quarterbacks we really like in this class because I mean, there's a team that can move up to one real easily. Like I think yeah. that, I think the Jaguars would be willing to move back if they had, you know, the right, the right opportunity uh, and the right trade came across Trent Balky's desk. But I think, I think those two things, like it's not a shocker that Dan Campbell, you know, doesn't think you need some mobile quarterback in, in the vein of Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or, or somebody else like that, because he just spent all those years in new Orleans with Drew Brees. And I mean, and, we just saw the quarter, yeah. the Super Bowl won by Matt Stafford, who's not even like, a Tom Brady type of pocket passer. He's the old fashioned gunslinger. Yeah. And, and there's something to that level of mobility, right? Because I think that Stafford's mobility is similar to Aaron Rodgers in the sense that they know when to escape 
and they uh, Aaron Rodgers is a little bit better at it for sure. Yeah. But like sure. he he can he picks up more first downs not, with his legs, but he's not trying to make plays like a Russell Wilson or a Mahomes with their legs. I don't want to say primarily, but you you know what I mean. Like when you see Wilson or you see Mahomes scramble, you know what I mean. That's different from when Rodgers or Stafford has yeah. to like get out of the pocket. Right. You so. well you you brought up a, an interesting point that I wanted to bring up too, which is like do you do you believe there's any case of, of the Lions just kind of trying to obfuscate their their interest in a quarterback here? Are are they playing coy? Like there there was the the article I put up on Pride of Detroit today about Hugh Freeze, the the Liberty coach, who who, who was listing he listed six teams that he thought were were expressing a ton of interest in Malik Willis, and the Detroit Lions were not one of them. Do you think it's possible that the Lions at the Senior Bowl perhaps learned everything they needed to learn about Malik Willis? decided in that moment, this is probably our guy and just shut it down from there. It's just like, let's, let's not talk. We're, we we're committed right now. That's our guy. We want to make sure no one jumps us with Jacksonville and just, we are going to play to the media. We're going to play like, we're just going to play everything super cool about the, this quarterback class and, and, and see, see where that takes us. Well, because of the inverse is is true as well right like if if they keep their lips sealed and they don't say anything about malik willis whether or not here's the thing i think i agree with you my short answer in the sense of i think the lions learned everything they needed to learn about malik willis at the senior bowl nothing about the pro day was nothing about the pro day was going to sway them nothing about anything is really going to sway them about malik willis but i think that the lions are they can benefit just as much by saying nothing about their interest in Malik because, hey, if Malik isn't their guy and a team trades up to number one and gets him, perfect. Then the number one guy on your board is right there. Just waiting, probably Aiden Hutchinson is right there. You know, you've, yeah. you've, you've tricked the Jaguars out of Aiden Hutchinson at that point. So, yeah, I, I, I'm i off it, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm off it. It's I'm not going to happen. I'm it's sorry. Okay. It's Okay. We're, we're still, you know, we're still going to make arguments for it because the, I, I do think there are legit ar- arguments for, for Malik Wilson, number one. It, it's not my current preference, but I do believe, like, if, if you think that guy can develop into the high-level prospect, and that's that's another thing that I found interesting from, from Dan Campbell. He was asked, are you confident in this coaching staff's ability to, to develop a young quarterback? And he said, oh, yeah. And that's where he went off about um, Ben Johnson again, called him a rock star, said he's been around all these coaches who've been around guys like Aaron Rodgers, a guy like Peyton Manning. Yeah. He um, talked about Mark Brunel, who obviously played quarterback in the league for a few yep. years. And he's, you know, talked about, you know, he understands fundament, fundamentals, game plan, everything like they've got a staff in place yeah. to develop a guy. For sure. And, and Brunel actually, before he came to Detroit, every, every uh, spring, he would go down to the combine and, and mentor. He yes, was a mentor he was for very five years to quarterback. So yeah. like, it's not like he's been out of the game for 10 years. He doesn't know how it works anymore. He knows what's required in this league. And so, yeah, I, those, those comments, if, if you have a developmental guy and you believe in your, your coach's ability to coach a guy up, well then if I, I, there, there aren't many other questions with Malik, right? Like it's just, can he develop those skills? It's a big question, but if you believe in your coaching staff, you've got a guy who's, everyone agrees is a fantastic leader. Everyone just kind of, you know, just he's a magnet to people. He, he draws people in. And so I, I get the argument there. It's a very, very high ceiling and a high value potential out of, of number two pick. And then you look at everyone else where we're still arguing over the same guys because there's no, I, th- I think that's the other big point. It's like there's no consensus guy that they'd be passing on 
for Malik Willis. Yeah, there's really no consensus right now. I think for me, the argument, and I, I got asked several times about the mocks that had Willis going number two to Detroit. And to a man, most of the guys I talked to thought it was insane for the Lions to take Malik Willis at number two. And then I asked him, okay, but you know, it's great for Carolina to take him at six, right? It's great for Atlanta to take him at eight. It's great for the saints to keep trading up and try to take either pick five or four or seven. So what, what fundamentally changes I, I asked, and I, I'm, 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 I'm laying this out by the way, as not someone who wants to see the lions take, I need to be clear about that. I'm not arguing for the lions to take Malik Willis at number two, but I guess one thing I miss in a lot of these conversations is why is it okay and a smart move at number six for Carolina to take a quarterback that will be developmental for a few years, but it's not okay for Detroit to take him at number two where he will also be developmental for a few years. Like, I don't understand where, what trigger is being, what, what switch is being flipped between those two. I understand that there's good edge prospects on the board and that's a great argument right there. But the key thing is, is that, quarterback is a position in the NFL that is irrational when it comes to its value. You need one period hard stop at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter how many picks you have to get up. You have to give up to get one. It doesn't matter how much you have to pay to retain one on your roster long-term see Mahomes contract. And it shouldn't be rational at quote unquote positional value or a big board where you are in the draft. If he's your guy in that draft, you get him regardless of when you pick in that draft, just because you pick two instead of six does not, should not be a psychological, like complete change. Like I, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't, I don't yeah, disagree. I, I think I, I, this is the only position I would say that for though. It's, it's quarterback. Right. It's, it's that damn important. That and, and you just to have me, to throw logic out the window about positional value. And especially if we're just talking between two and six, because I don't really think there's that big of a difference, especially in this draft, in this like, draft. especially this draft. Yeah. when, I mean, we keep hearing it, like it, it's a bad year to have a top 10 pick because all these guys have a lot of question marks. And there's an argument. And I think you made last week, Ryan, like if, if you're in a room of guys with, with question marks, why not take the quarterback who has the biggest upside? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think all of this kind of funnels into the discussion or, or where we take this discussion in terms of like positional value, right? Like we, we've mentioned that a couple of times yeah. and I think it was interesting what Dan Campbell had to say about positional value. And to that point that I, that I made the other week, Jeremy, like if you have a bunch of guys where there really isn't a hierarchy within it, it within those top guys, I mean, does positional value, you know, hold a lot of weight when, when making that pick at number two. And Dan Campbell said, we're looking at every scenario because there are some guys that are ultimately, some might say, well, is the value worth it at two? No, we don't care. All that matters is this dude is going to come in and play and he's going to help us. And he's going to be a productive player for a long time in this league for us. That's what matters to us. So if positional value isn't really so much of a determiner of who the lions are going to draft it to, that opens up an awful lot of possibilities at that pick. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a bombshell quote. Like, I don't, I don't want to downplay that quote at all. Like, and, and, and Dan Campbell's smart. Like, I, I don't think he thinks he's not going to take a punter at two. He's not going to take a punter. He's, you know, I don't, (laughs) I don't think, I don't think he's going to take a linebacker. I, I feel like, he knows that there are premium positions and, and Brad Holmes said, said as much the week before there are premium positions in this league, but I do definitely think that opens up talk about, I mean, 
basically any of the guys in the top 10 I, outside an offensive tackle where need isn't there, but, but like this, this opens up a door for you, Chris and, and Kyle Hamilton. If we want to start sneaking in some cornerback talk, like I, I'm not completely ruling out sauce Gardner either. I, I, I it's, it's very interesting. And yeah. it's an interesting philosophy. And I'm curious as to what your guys' philosophy is. It seems just like, let's just get the guy we're sure on the guy that we know is going to be part of this team for 10 years down the line. And, and to me like that, that very much opens up the conversation of, of Kyle Hamm- Hamilton, who I've said time and time again, I think might be the safest pick amongst this top five group. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I'm noticing a lot of lions fans kind of having an even more visceral reaction to the idea of taking Kyle Hamilton than to Malik Willis in some circles, just because it's a safety. And again, it goes to your point about positional value. And I, I mean, to, to your point though, Jeremy, it's, it's the overall question of is safety a premium position? Is it a pre- premium player? And we've had these arguments before about it. I kind of veer. Yes. We talked about the ringer article not long ago that talked about the growing importance of safety. And I talked with, um, I talked with Bucky Brooks on Sunday. I know he does a lot of draft stuff. And one of the things he talked about was you see where a lot of NFL defenses are going. A lot of the leadership is coming up the middle now. And he actually pointed to the 2014 lions. He looked at, you know, you looked at who were the leaders there. You had defensive tackles, Mike linebacker safeties, James ahead of Bo, Glover Quinn in the back, you know, Dominican Sue up front you, you, because pressure is now coming a lot more up the middle. Now it, it's, it's ironic because Bucky was usually actually using that to a point to me to argue against Kyle Hamilton. He wasn't as high as on Kyle Hamilton as I am because his argument is that all we've heard about Kyle Hamilton is the athleticism, not the leadership. But I don't know. I, I think, I think that was, that would be something I'd have to go back and watch some of the tape on. I think Kyle Hamilton is set up to be that kind of leader, but I totally understand that the emphasis on Kyle Hamilton has been athleticism, but to your point, he's probably the most pro ready and it's hard to find a defensive back. Who's probably, day one ready. We, we had this conversation a couple of years ago with, uh, with Akuda, but right. Hamilton is the one guy who you can look at and say, that guy has blue chip athletic measurables. And I think that's why you say he's probably the safest pick out there because you look at the three edge rushers who I think most fans would want to take, you know, and it's, but it's questions of which one of those guys is probably the best or second best of those three, depending on what Jacksonville does. And is second best enough to outweigh then going down to the second level versus someone like Hamilton, who is head and shoulders above the rest of the safety class by a good amount. Yeah. But the question for me too is obviously is, is Bucky's question is, can he also be that leader that you need down, down the line? I think he can. So I don't know if it's just, um, I don't know if it's just smoke or I don't know if it's just, scout talk or whatever it might be, but I I've seen some scouts talk about Lewis seen being the best safety in this draft class. Hmm. Now I, I I'm not sure how much weight I'm going to put into that statement. I don't know how much I'm going to believe it. I don't know how much I'm going to take it and, and hold on to it, but just the fact that there are little bits of that discussion happening because for all intents and purposes, like when we had our conversation with Kent, Jeremy before the combine, it was, Hey, Kyle Hamilton is by far and away the best safety in this class. There's a gap in between him and the next group, but there's so much depth in that next group. So I, I I'm, 
I, I wouldn't there's be, a lot of depth. Yes. I wouldn't I wouldn't be terribly upset, I guess, if Kyle Hamilton was the pick, if he's their best player available. But Jeremy, this is best player available. All gas, no breaks. Like what Dan Campbell's quote said was yeah. the best. We're drafting the guy that is going to be a productive player for a long time for us. Full stop. Like that's going to be our guy. I know, Jeremy, you're probably so thankful that there isn't a Saquon Barkley or an Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott in this draft because I mean, a, a running back might might have gotten. I mean, that's not a two. two. I, I have to. I have I, to imagine that theory holds for the rest of the draft, right? So, I, I when when lines are on the clock at thirty two or thirty four, I am going to be shaking in my boots that Kenneth Walker is going to be the pick. <laughs> well, I I think there is one guy that Dan Campbell did speak on. You know, as much as we can talk about Willis or my love for Hamilton, I feel like it will be Edge, and I feel like there were some redeeming words for at least one guy among those Edge that that Dan Campbell talked about. And he may be like some of the other guys too, but we'll, we'll, we should probably take a break. We talk about them on the other side. Also, Dan Campbell had plenty to talk about on the current team as well, including a, uh, a new position that he might've coined. <laughs> I, I have not been excited for this, for this innovation in football since Superback. Lions are truly on the cutting edge. We'll be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Continuing along, we've been talking a lot about Dan Campbell's comments in the past week here, which is giving us insight into the draft, into the team. And where we led off, we were talking about Kyle Hamilton. We were talking about Malik Willis. We were talking about positional value. And we were talking about, you know, the right strategy. And I feel like this is a great place. Uh, Was it Ryan, Jeremy? You were kind of leading us into this about, you know, going for who's going to be best available. And he had a lot to say about, you know, who you're looking for from that pack about the top three edge rushers. And we had a lot of cave on Thibodeau talk from, from uh, the big man. He was saying about Thibodeau. He's an explosive athlete. He's a playmaker. He's got a good quick first step. He, I mean, he's something else. He's pretty special on tape. Yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting because he, it, it felt like he was bombarded with cave on Thibodeau related questions. And I guess it was just, it was, you know, it's fresh off the wheels of, of them, you know, sending everyone to Oregon's pro day. Exactly. And so it it was a hot topic and, and obviously the the character stuff was a big part of the conversation and had some really interesting things to to say about 
how they view character and and obviously i mean it's no it's no it, it's worthy of conversation here because the lines have made it no secret that culture and character absolutely matter um i don't know i, I feel like with every re-signing or or new signing this free agency culture fit came up with every single person and so whether or not cave on thibodeau is a culture fit is a necessary conversation that we have to have and it's hard for us to say without a shadow of a doubt that the, the kind of person that Kayvon Thibodeau is, but it, it all seemed to boil down to one thing to Dan Campbell. Do you love football? Everything else is noise. Doesn't matter what you do off the field. Doesn't matter what, what other interests you have. Doesn't matter if, if you, if you want to do other things as well, if football is, is a, a passion of yours, if you love the game of football, we can make it work. We believe in our coaching staff to, to straighten out everything else. And this is where the whole, like we had a drunk player in Miami and, and he prioritized football once he walked in the building and we made that work and that's fine. We don't want drunk people, but we can make that work. I don't want to get into a slippery slope there because I don't think it's, it's relevant. I don't think he's trying to say that we, we take problematic people. I don't think he's even suggesting that Kayvon Thibodeau was a problematic person. I think it's more just like, Hey, if you walk in these doors and, and give it all your, give it your all work your ass off. You're, you're good for us. And I, and I think part of that is actually encouraging for, for Thibodeau because I know there are questions about his effort. I know there are questions about whether he loves the game. I don't have those particular questions, but I think, I, I think what I liked about what Dan Campbell said and why it might say that Thibodeau was a fit is like, we don't care about, like, we don't care about what you do. They're, they're, you know, I think part of the reason he went to Oregon over some of the other schools is because Oregon accepted that he has other interests. The Lions are going to be one of those teams that accept that you have one of those interests because once you walk in those doors, it's all about football. And I don't, I don't have that much of a question whether Kayvon Thibodeau loves the game enough where that he can compartmentalize his life and be like, all right, when I'm in these doors, I'm giving I mean, it my all. That that's that's the definition of professional. That's the definition of professional. When you're on the clock, you are on the clock. When you come, same same idea. When you come through those doors, you're 100. percent That's the very idea. I think some people miss that. I know in our modern age, nobody really seems to understand on the clock, off the clock that well. But I think that's kind of what it's hinting towards there. Like, you know, when you're on the clock, you're on the clock. And these guys are professionals. It means that you show up, you do your job. And it doesn't matter what you need to do to prepare or what you do outside. As long as you are ready, some guys might be preparing all day. Like, you know, we talk about Jamal Williams, how he was, you know, constantly practicing in, in the summertime. But, you know, if, if whatever Kayvon does, as long as he's able to like come in and play at a hundred percent, then whatever works, works. Right. Yeah. And, and there's part of me too, that when I listen to Kayvon Thibodeau talk, I try to block out some of that noise because I think that when he speaks, like I hear a guy who has his head on straight and I think he realizes that connection between football and what he wants to do outside of football. I think he understands that those two are inextricably linked, that success in football will open up opportunities and avenues for him that he wants to pursue, whether it's crypto or, you know, whatever the other interest that he has, maybe dinosaurs. I don't know if he, if he's, I mean, he's not alone in the the same interest as miles Garrett, then everything's fine. There's a lot of guys who have interest in crypto. I don't think it's an, it's a good interest to have considering I think the whole thing's a damn scam, but like, he's not alone. 
Like there's plenty of guys who've converted their contracts to Bitcoin. Des Bryant's out here with NFTs all the, all the damn day long. Like, well, it doesn't like even the, matter. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's advertising too. Right. Like, I mean, we saw it all over the Super Bowl. I mean, it was yeah. everybody from LeBron James to Steph Curry to, you know, Matt Damon. I, I think everybody's getting into the stuff, but um, I, th- it's not a huge concern because I think that like, like we talked about on first bite, Jeremy, that uh, I think we actually talked about this off air, but the way that Dan Campbell is approaching pro days is that he's not going to any of them because he right. wasn't able to go to some of them. Right. And he's letting the tape, communicate to him what he needs to know about the player. And I think that Dan Campbell can get a sense of, Oh, is Kayvon Thibodeau's motor a concern is the way that he's playing. Is that concerning? Is he giving up on plays? Is he not giving each play 100%? That's something that's going to pop off tape for a guy like Dan Campbell. Sure. But I think the other part of this is interesting. And maybe this falls on the, maybe the lines aren't interested in Thibodeau, end of the spectrum is, is he was asked straight up, like, why are you guys doing so much research on Kayvon? And his answer was essentially, well, some guys answer all the questions right away. You don't have many questions about them because it's, it's obvious with these guys, other guys, you need to do a little bit of extra work. And that can be about their play on the field. That can be about their personality. That can be mental, but you need to be thorough about it. And so he, he more or less said like, we, Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't able to answer all of our questions with his play, with this, with that. They needed to do all this research. They needed to show up to a game uh, on the West Coast when he played. They needed to be at his pro day. They needed to talk to him at the NFL Combine. They need to have him in for a top 30 visit that we're getting on Tuesday. It, it shows that there's at least some hesitation there. It shows that there's at least some questions that they need to be answered. Now, you should be doing most of this sort of stuff anyways when you when you have – something as valuable as a top two pick. But I, I think that shows that there's at least a little pause that, that they, they need to get a thorough answer here on, on whether, whether it, you know, his, his other interests bleed over into football, because there are, there are some people that are questioning whether he's taking off plays or whether, you know, he's not giving it his all on every player, whatever it is. And so they, they definitely need to straighten that out, straighten that out. Because like I said, like character on the field, is a premium with this team. And so if there's any concern that, that he isn't giving it his all out there on every snap, Dan Campbell's going to notice, or their scouts are going to notice, or their, their front office is going to notice, and it's going to take him off their board. Again, I don't really see that. I don't. I, I think he's all in when he's on the field, when he's on the practice field, all that sort of stuff. I don't have that many questions, but I'm also not the guy that's coaching him every day. I'm not, I haven't seen every single one of cave on Thibodeau snaps. So it's interesting, and uh, I, I still think he, he's in play. I personally think he should be in play. But, you know, I, I would say Dan Campbell's answers about him were pretty mixed in a way that I'm not sure if they're interested or not. Can I, say, can I ask this? Because this is now I'm going to put on the tinfoil hat. I know that's usually Ryan's domain. I'm sorry, but let me borrow that for a second. Because we talked about is the interest in Malik Willis smokescreen? Is all these concerns about Kayvon Thibodeau maybe smokescreen? to like say like, Hey, we, we're not quite sure about this guy at number two, maybe to gin up some interest, not, not to, not for other teams to trade up for, for cave Thibodeau, but that the lions maybe aren't comfortable at number two. They'd like to, you know, move back. And maybe you're the team that if you want the quarterback that desperately, not only are the lions throwing up smoke screen about the quarterback, they're throwing up smoke screen about probably who is projected to come off number two off the board. 
another reason why this year <clears throat> excuse me another reason why this year sucks so much to have a top five pick is that the draft truly starts at one and then everything falls into place. You know how many years we go into the draft and it's basically a foregone conclusion who the number one pick is going to be. It seems like it's that it seems like it's that way perpetually that the draft starts at two. Not at all this year. Nope. Not at all. Like the draft truly starts when the Jaguars are on the clock because there's just so many there's there's so much talent at the top of the draft that nobody's been able to distinguish themselves from anybody else especially three guys playing the same edge position too right between and i mean granted we weren't talking about walker a few years ago but now there's mots that have the lions taking you know the top of the draft going hutchinson walker equanu like those are the top three i think was it uh was it pete prisco or one of the one of the CBS guys had a mock like that, but like that's the point is that there's still so much, you know, so many questions between these three guys that nobody's quite sure how to how to suss them out. It's 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 interesting, man. I I, I really don't have a strong feeling on on where uh, my my only strong feeling is that if Hutchinson is there, I think he's the guy, and yes. it, it it's worth it's worth mentioning like. Hey, there's some, talk, there's some talks heating up that Jacksonville is really interested in Trevon Walker. And I don't know how real they are, but some some people on draft are, are putting their name out there and saying, this rum, these rumblings, they're real. Jacksonville and, and Trent Balky has thrown his support behind the athletic supreme guy, and it's paid off in, in some cases in his past when he was that would make Pittsburgh. That would make Lions fans very happy. I don't know if I don't know. We we haven't talked at all about Aiden Hutchinson, and I feel like a lot of it is just. I mean, we we've talked about this before, though, Jeremy, a little bit that a lot of it is very much a recency bias and local background backyard bias, and I I don't I we really I think probably one of our upcoming podcasts we need to sit down and really go in deep on on Hutchinson about whether or not like because I feel like just because most people know him from Michigan it makes him the most endearing and he talks well. And we obviously we've talked with him. We've had him on the podcast and, but you know, that doesn't answer the question of, are you the best player over Walker and Thibodeau? There would be nothing more NFL off season draft ish than us completely coming full circle to somehow landing Aiden Hutchinson again, because remember like three months ago, it was Jaguars are going offensive tackle. Aiden Hutchins is going to be there and he's going to be the Lions pick. If we come back all the way in April and that's the pick anyways, albeit because Jacksonville went with a different edge rusher. That's, that's just peak NFL Twitter. Yeah. And again, it makes the fans happy because he's the Michigan guy. I'll be pissed pissed. because that means that I wasted three months of my life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Newsflash. I I think that's happening anyway, Ryan. (laughs) It was it was the the quarterback talk where the was the real quarterback talk was the friends we made along the way. Uh, I I don't want to keep it just a draft, so we've got about halfway into the segment still. Um, he had a few. Dan Campbell had a few interesting comments about the actual current line, Detroit Lions roster, and I wanted to start with Will Smith. Will uh, Will Smith. Will Harris. I'm not I'm not trying to slap nobody. <laughs> Will Harris, who. Um, Hasn't really been great sledding for Will Harris lately. Uh, Kyle Mikey pointed out he's been a top bottom 10 safety since arriving, arriving in Detroit per PFF. 
And last year he was, according to pro football focus, he was bottom two. Now I have, I have to go check those numbers about what qualifies that either way. We, I don't think I'm, I'm breaking any news to lions fans that will Harris at safety has not been very good. However, at corner, he's shown some improvement and Dan Campbell was asked about it and, and called him. This is the new position. And I'm always excited about new positions. I don't even know how to say this. Cafety? Cafeity? Yeah. <laughs> Not cafeity. I don't think cafeity. So. Cafeity. That, seem, that seems confusing. Coffee. So he says, do you put him at corner or do you put him at safety? Well, I don't think you put him at safety. But anyway, um, let me just do the actual quote. Do you put him at corner or do you put him at safety? I'll be honest. We haven't just locked that down right now. We're still kind of talking th- about it. That's not a bad thing. All right. Hey, it kind of might be a bad thing. If you don't know which <laughs> position I place. I, well, okay. So I Will feel like Harris is by far the least liked lion on the Detroit Lions roster from the fan base. Right. Like I think it's far yes. and away that he's the most fair, unfair. Yeah. He receives the most vitriol for some of a lot of blame, teams. a lot of blame for coverage problems. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like we need to talk about this little quote this quote a little bit more because I feel like it's being a little bit misinterpreted because I've seen some people suggest, Oh, he's, he's moving to full si- full-time corner now. Like that's it. Like, no. okay, no, that's not what he's saying. He, he's saying he has versatility, which we kind of already knew because he played corner last year. He played nickel a bunch. And we also kind of knew this might be in the cards for him because at the end of the season, Aaron Glenn con- compared him to who, do you remember who? It's a guy we talked about a lot during free agency. New Orleans Saint? Yes. PJ Williams, a guy who did both for the New Orleans Saints. He said of Will Harris, this is quoting Aaron Glenn. Uh, I had a guy like this in, named PJ Williams with the Saints, and he was just like Will. Actually, he wasn't as good of an athlete as Will. One of the things was he was very smart. At the drop of the hat, we could put him in a position that he didn't get a lot of reps in that week, and you see Will doing the same thing. It's just the fact that his mentality of being the type of guy, because there are not a lot of guys that want to do that. So Will Harris is a guy that if, if a guy gets injured at nickel, they'll drop it in at nickel. Maybe he'll even play some outside corner, but this isn't, I don't think this is a thing where they are going to groom him to be a full-time corner. I would be very surprised about that. I think they just view him as a utility guy. And maybe like, obviously you, you, you got to pick one room where he spends the majority of his time, unless you really want to split it 50, 50, but I don't think Will Harris is just like suddenly not a safety anymore. I don't think that's how the lines are going to be approaching this. I, I don't think that would be the case because he wouldn't call him a safety, right? <laughs> right? He would just call him a cornerback. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, one, so if, if you want to look at someone like PJ Williams, uh, didn't play a full season last year with, with the Saints, there was kind of more of a utility guy. And maybe this is what we're looking into what the lines do with Will Harris is maybe he's just more of a situational guy. He had about 170 snaps at safety, 222 at nickel. So not not quite a 50-50 split, but, you know, 59 in the box. So if you're talking between safety and corner, he, he also played 44 wide corner. So I would say that's almost a 50-50 split between corner and safety. I think that's what you're probably going to expect from Will Harris. So to me, the question is, is he a starter in any of these roles? Is he only going to be a nickel corner when they want three safeties on the field? And who's going to be that third safety is also a legit question to have. Um, but I don't know. I, I think 
I, I think we, I think people might be overreacting to this. Everyone loves a position change, right? Like everyone wants Okuda to be a safety. Everyone wants this guy to be that because you can do it in Madden and suddenly his overall doesn't change that much. I, I think they're just going to use Will Harris as a guy who's like, wherever we need him. If we think he's a good matchup, he's a long athletic guy and they've got a long athletic tight end. Let's drop him into the box and have him be nickel against this tight end. If they don't, if they have more of a, a shifty tight end, then maybe he's just a reserve safety that week. Um, but it, this isn't just now he's a corner. That's not, that's not what's happening. No, no. As, as he wouldn't, it wouldn't be a cafe. He wouldn't be a cafe. He wouldn't be a cafe. A cake D. You know, cake. Where's the cake come in? Cake. Tea? I don't know. I don't know. I just, <laughs> you just it, want cake. Okay. Yeah. 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 It'd be nice right now. Um, I think that's really about it. I think we've covered everything from, uh, you want to talk a little Levi or are we, are we up against it? Um, we're, I, we've got a lot of questions this week in the mailbag. Okay. So I yeah, kind of wanted to jump there. I, uh, I can, see, I can slip in some Levi owns in, in the mailbag. There's a question where I can sneak. Yeah. In. Yeah. So we'll save that part for the mailbag. We've got a very big mailbag with sack master, Ryan Matthews. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back on the Friday Detroit POD cast. Mail time, hashtag ask POD. Although I don't think we, we don't really do the hashtag anymore. It's there. If, if you use it, you, you get a little like a little more visibility. I, I get, I respect people who throw in the hashtag a little bit more, All right. which means I'm more inclined to use their questions. So just throw in tagline, the hashtag ask POD. It's there. It's there. Most of these actually come from, actually we do have one at two ask PODs in here. Most of them come from Jeremy reaching out, getting some mail. But at this point in the podcast each week, we turn it over to Sackmaster Flash himself, Ryan Matthews, to open the mail sack and let us know what's in there. All right, let me dig into my sack. Uh, so looking at the questions that we have this week, since we ended things on such a sour note, talking about Will Harris at the end of segment two. Let's start with some positivity um, from Stephen O'Rourke at call me Steve 7 He asks what player on the roster will take the biggest leap from last year to this year. This is perfect. Cause it also leads into what I was saying. Levi owns Enrique. Some things that, that <laughs> the Dan Campbell was saying about him. Uh, the, the interesting thing about him that, that, that Dan Campbell said and, and why he's maybe my answer for this question is that he's been hanging around the, the facility all off season, uh, which is not something you're required to do in any sort of way, but he's, he wants to work out there. He wants to, you know, interact with coaches when he can. Um, and so I, you, you'd love for him to be the answer, right? I, I think if he's the answer, the Lions are in a really good spot because there, there's no way around it. He had a disappointing 2021. He's a second round pick. So the Lions invested a lot in him. And, you know, one, one of the interesting things that Dan Campbell said, and that's one that a lot of coaches say is like that year one to year two jump is the biggest one you, that a lot of players make is, is just, you, you, you're fine. You, you got your feet settled. You understand how the daily routine works, the weekly routine works, and you understand the game better. You've had a, a full off season to prepare for this defense. So he said, quote, uh, everyone learns at a different rate in this league, man. Takes a while. Some guys get it right now. Some guys adjust 
to go and develop and figure things out a little bit. So I, I hope that's Levi. Uh, I, I certainly don't question his motivation. Um, you just got, you got to hope it's not like a, a Jared Davis type of situation where you, you got a hard worker, a, 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 you know, a guy who's going to first, first in last to leave kind of guy, but just can't get it in between his heads. And I, I don't know if that's what Levi's working with. I know there was some conditioning stuff early in his career. I know he had the, the back issue. So maybe some of that, maybe it was like more of a physical thing early in the year. Um, and that caused him to de- delay in development. That's not going to be an issue this year. So I, I am going to throw all my hope behind uh, Levi being the one guy that takes a big jump this year. I, um, I'd like to say Okuda. I don't know if that really qualifies. I still believe that a lot of the hate's misplaced, but it's hard to come back from the Achilles. Can I go with, uh, just, just to be different, I guess I'm going to go with Derek Barnes. It's a good answer. I feel like, I feel like Barnes can probably become, we've been talking about how much lines kind of need that kind of star in the linebacker unit, especially someone on the leadership side. And I feel like Barnes, you know, you, you got some impressive flashes out of him, but we just didn't, you know, I feel like, if anyone's due for the big year two jump, I feel it's him. Talking about I, year two jumps, huh? Penny Sewell, man. If the Lions can go into go even season, more impressive than what he's been. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I think that there there has to be more to his game. Like he was he was good last season. There were some there were some dips here and there, but I think a lot of that was associated with having to bounce back and forth from left tackle to right tackle. If he gets an entire season where he just gets to play right tackle, I think you could see a, like, I mean, we could, we, we might be talking about like an all pro season. I, the, the place that he has to grow the most is pass protection, right? Like he's got, like, he's such a mauler in the run game. So if he can improve pass protection and you already got Taylor Decker on the left side, like Jared Goff is going to have all freaking day. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next question uh, from Kevin Gallagher. Are we ignoring the Lions potentially drafting another cornerback early? Stingley and Gardner both seem like better prospects than Okuda was. And I know you kind of talked about this a, a little. I, I know you kind of talked about this a little bit early, earlier on, Jeremy, when we were talking about the number two pick and, you know, talking about Sauce Gardner and stuff like that, but. Can can I can I disagree with that last second that last that second sentence pretty vehemently? Like sure, Okuda was a, a much bigger prospect than Stingley Carter. I feel like there's some there's some heavy what 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 is the word I'm looking for, Jeremy? Uh, revisionist history. Yes, thank you, Ryan. There's some heavy revisionist history going on with that take. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I agree with you. But I, I, I mean, I've been playing with this idea of, of going corner early in this draft, whether it's a two or 32 or 34. And I get it. And if the lines were to do it, I would understand. I, I'm, not, I'm not completely against it. But the, the problem that I have with it is that I really feel like the lines are still in the situation where they need to figure out what they have before they start digging into the goodie bag again. They need to know if Jeff Okuda could potentially grow into a norm, number one quarterback, if he's going to have the same speed and athleticism that he did before the Achilles injury. They need to know if Ifatu Melifanu can develop into a number two cornerback, probably not a number one. They need to know if Jerry Jacobs is, is potentially as good as he looked like he could be. He's going to stick around. What, what's going to happen with Imani or Warrior? Um, uh, yeah, you, yeah. I, he could very well get an extension this year. And then like, if even if just one or two of those guys turn out to be kind of okay for you, then it seems kind of like a wasted pick. So 
I, I'm, I guess my preference is that the Lions wait a year, see what they have. I, it would have been a lot nicer if, if Fatima Lafandu and, and Jeff Okuda didn't get injured because I, I think, and we lamented it when it happened, like year one was all about developing players and seeing what you got. And those two guys, we didn't get enough to, to know. And so those projects got kicked down a year. So let's just wait and see how it plays out with those two. And and then we'll, we'll kind of readjust next year. Like I, I, again, I don't mind them going quarter here. I just wish, I hope, I guess that they, they kind of figure out what they have before they, they start digging in again. Yeah. I, I, I could see them maybe taking it on day two or day three, but to take Gardner or Stingley is a bit of a reach. I know some people, I know I've seen some Lions fans starting to warm up to the idea on sauce Gardner. They're good players. And, they're no, good no, they're players. good. They're good players. But I mean, I, uh, I just, I don't think like we, we just laid out how many cornerbacks deep the lions are. And none of them are, are exact. Again, there's question marks on all of them, but the point is, is like, you've got people at those positions. There's some other positions where it's very thin right now. And again, I'm, I'm kind of going positional value a bit, but it feels more like a luxury to take another corner right now versus some of the other positions of need, be it safety or edge or even linebacker. Well, speaking of, of some of those needs, we had a question from at Mitten Made Dre, who <clears throat> asks the podcast, just wonder where y'all are at with the Aquara brothers and Charles Harris, 10 sack season from Romeo's last healthy season. We're all so high on Julian's potential. Charles Harris just gave a seven and a half sack season as a part-time player. And he was a full-time player, but why do we view edge as the biggest need is his question. Because it's sexy. Sorry. It's sexy. And people have talked themselves into these edge rushers being the top ones there. And I think Jeremy, like, I think we just said like there's there's question marks on Julian because of potential and Romeo on injury and I mean we've seen this in the past where Romeo's kind of been uh, erratic with his performance. There's been like really good Romeo Quara years, but then there's been like a couple one you know bad year with Oquara and he had some bad years before he came to Detroit too. And Charles Harris, I think, is you know a good contributor. I just feel like there's more room for picking up someone for that de- for you know, that unit and you just kind of accept that, you know, the, the acquire brothers are depth. Uh, I have a lot. I, it's a good question because I, I do think maybe some people underrate the guys that, that are in the building. I do think Romeo Quar could probably be another 10 sack season. You know, th- obviously there's a huge if with, with the Achilles, he might not even be ready to start the season. Yeah. Um, so that that's one thing, but if, if we're talking edge number two, it's an entirely different conversation here because we're not talking about guys who can get eight sacks. We're not talking about guys who can maybe get 10 sacks. We're talking about 12, 14, 16 guys that are absolute game wreckers. And that's the kind of potential that you got in someone in like Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson, or maybe even Trevon Walker. We're talking about guys that wreck games and Charles Harris isn't that guy. Well, I think the thing is Romeo Parr isn't that guy. Lions fans haven't seen that kind of guy in a very long time. No. And, and it's just an entirely different level of player that you'd be getting at three that, that because it's a premium position, like edge is a game wrecking position. And, and yeah, the, the lines haven't had that in a very long time. And a lot of the, the most successful defenses have a guy like that. So that's, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect to me 
is you you still got to talk about down the line here. Like Charles Harris is signed to a two-year deal. Julian Quara, Romeo Quara, those guys, two more years left in the deal. Like this is this is still a in terms of a long-term answer at edge. We're only looking at the next two years with the guys that are that are currently on board. I'm not, and I'm not even that high on Julian. Like I don't I don't know if he's going to develop into anything more than like a, a six sack ceiling type of guy. So adding one that that could be a potential twelve plus sack guy every single year with the second overall pick, and not just for this year, not just for next year, for the next four or five, and hopefully well beyond that. Like there's a ton of value in that. So. I get, I get your, your question when it comes to maybe later in the draft, if, if they pass on edge at the top and, and suddenly we're looking at, you know, some of the, the second, third round guys, maybe that's not as big of a need, but if you get in a chance at a game record at the top of the draft, you, you always need one. Even if you have one, you, you need another. So um, that, yeah, it, it's still. All right. Fair enough. Um, Next question from, uh, I, I want to take this other one from Stephen O'Rourke at called me Steve 07. What would be the justification for drafting Malik Willis after passing on Justin Fields last year? Are you still going to do this Justin Fields thing? I, I think we might, but I think it starts with kind of a conversation that we were having earlier about the cornerbacks and wanting to see what you had. I think the Lions wanted to see what they had in Jared Goff. And I think that that might be their explanation for why they end up passing on a quarterback again is, hey, the Lions may have tapped into something in the last, you know, six games of the season with Jared Goff. And they they might have gotten uh, a look into who he could be if the Lions start surrounding him with, you know, more talent. And yes, Jared Goff led a Rams team to a Super Bowl. I think they're willing to wait and see what they have. Here's, here's the other thing too. And this is kind of the weird, this is kind of the catch 22 we find ourselves in when doing this kind of retroactive on that draft too, is that a big reason I feel like for Jared Goff getting back on his feet is having a great offensive line. And you're not, you're going to have a gaping hole there if you don't have Panay Sewell there. And I know maybe, you know, if they had taken fields, maybe they take an offensive lineman later, but are you really getting that kind of elite protection that Panay Sewell and the, the combo of Panay Sewell and Taylor Decker offered? I don't think so. So I, I think I, it's, it, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird kind of paradox we find ourselves in is that, you know, to, to judge and say, well, you know, the Lions could have taken Justin Fields, but the line wouldn't have been set at that point either, which would have, as we saw with the Bears, Justin Fields did not do well with a bad offensive line. I want to I want to propose this to Jeremy because I, I just had this thought as you were explaining that, Chris, the Lions, the Lions attitude and their approach to this draft evidenced by what Dan Campbell said about, hey, we just want to take a guy who's going to be a productive player, who's going to come in and play for us for years and years. The Lions were willing to go best player available last year, too. They tried to trade up to get Jamar Chase. Like, the Lions were interested in getting the best football player on their board at that time, and Justin Fields just apparently wasn't that player. They yeah. had Panay Sewell ranked higher. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good point. I think Chris also nailed it. Like, it, it's it's about where the team is. And I, I get the sense that this team wants a, a full, not fully fleshed out team, but 
a much better team than what they would have been last year and what they probably are going to be this year to throw a quarterback. I mean, you, you want to maximize that, that rookie contract as much as possible. Right. And so if, if you take a quarterback, you know, that year one's not going to be pretty good, no matter what situation he's looking into, but if year two, they're coming in and they're, they're more developed and your roster still sucks. Well then, then now we've burned two years and maybe then it's three and then maybe it's four until like the, the roster is where it's at. You want to maximize the, the amount of time where this quarterback has a chance to lead your, your team to something important and doing it last year, you, you would have had one less year, I think, to, to really have a shot to make it work. Yeah. Um, this can be a quick question um, from Josh underscore Brown underscore on Twitter. He says, what are the chances Thibodeau goes number one? I know people assume it's Hutch, but Tibbs was a consensus top guy most of the year. I, I can give you the answer uh, via DraftKings. The chances are plus 2,500. So they're pretty, they're, they're pretty low. Like yeah. plus 2,500 is pretty low. I don't, the, I, the two I, top guys are Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker right now. Uh, forgive me. I'm going to have to look this up live. Uh, did the Jaguars send a lot of guys to the, uh, Oregon pro day to look at Thibodeau like the lions did, or was, I'm not um, sure. I don't, but I, I mean, I think the, the more relevant point here is, is true. If, if it's not eight hunches then it really sounds like it's going to be Trevon Walker, right? Right. Trevon Walker is kind of the, yeah. Like as much as we talk about Willis shooting up the, the boards, like everyone, nobody was talking about Trevon Walker back in January. I feel like. It's, Dane Brugler. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that is about it. And I don't know, man. I, I'm well, not here's, ready here's, to buy into this. That, yeah, that they're I, interested in this guy. It, and and it's not just me being like this is a, a workout warrior and NFL combine guy, and and people are overreacting to that. It, it's just there's so much unproven with this guy that that uh, people are just banking on the athletic traits translating to edge rushing and bending and all that sort of stuff. Where are you talking Walker? Or are you talking Thibodeau? Walker, Walker. Okay. Because well, I, I just don't, I just, I feel like when someone shoots up the boards this quickly, this much, be it a quarterback or edge or anyone, it just stinks of basically we're all bored and trying to just, you know, rearrange Maybe. the deck tears on the Titanic that, and most teams usually, and what happens is usually at the end of the day, most teams don't bite on that kind of hype. Unless you're the Bears, t- you know, trading up for Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, well, uh, it's tough because this time of year, it's two things. It's it's also like experts are actually starting to get real in, inside information, and then also yes, that's the other part. Yeah. It, 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 so when whenever something like this pops up, you don't know if it's a smokescreen or or if it's legit information coming in. The thing I can't figure out though is what does Jacksonville benefit from saying, "Oh, we're gonna we're leaking that to the media." Like what? what possible like there's there's not a lot of teams pining yeah no one's going to try to trade up like. for one for 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 yeah yeah Walker. so uh, i i guess i just don't see the motivation for that so i don't know it's it, it, it's really interesting to me i i'm falling less and less out of love with with the idea of getting walker at two so the fact that that jacksonville will consider him at one is just it's kind of unbelievable to me i don't know do, do you I, I think I'm, well, I'm obviously I, I guess being this... affected by our, our, our conversation on, on first bite last week where, um, you know, we, it, it seemed like the argument there was just like not even a top five, maybe not even a top 10 pick because what, what you're trading off with, with Trevon Walker is he might not eventually be that 12 sack guy, 
but he's a versatile guy. He can maybe slide inside and be an inside pass rush. But to me, like, I think I would rather have the guy that is just this elite pass rusher off the edge than a guy that can, you can kind of just fit him there or there, wherever he's kind of the whole, like Jack of all trades, master of none thing. Well, I, I think that's a point in his benefit mostly because I've been talking about kind of leadership from, you know, rush up the middle these days. But I think this guy actually dovetails. If I may, if I might reach into Ryan's sack here real quick, we did have the other question from Michael Jacob. And I might as well kick it back to Ryan. Uh, Michael Jacob, MJC7006. Can Trevon Walker become an elite pass rusher, 12 to 15 sacks per season? Uh, so he might be able to is is the is the answer but he would have to he would have to break down some pretty historical precedent in terms of the 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 lack of productivity he had as a college player to where he would be as a professional player i know like jeremy shared uh, a chart with me was it seth waldman it's walden yep walden yeah from from espn you know showing the the correlation between what you do as a pass rusher in college will translate to the NFL in the sense that like, if you, if you generated very little pass rush as a college player, you're probably not going to generate much more as an NFL player. And th- the same is, you know, just for, you know, if, if you do it at a high level in college, there's a good chance that you might be able to do it in, in the NFL as well. But the, the point being, he would have to overcome some pretty historical precedent that has been set with the NFL in terms of edge rushers. And especially this is a guy who coming into the NFL, the, the, the knocks on him are he's really raw as a pass rusher. He really has to develop that counter move. He really has to like, there are a lot of things like he has to develop X, Y, and Z. And then he can become a high level right. pass rusher. And, and the, the other side of that too, is like, it's not, it's not only might not never come, but when it does come, it's probably going to be at least a couple of years down the line. So right. you're, you're missing out on a couple of years of production. And what did the line say they want in their draft pick? A guy who can come in immediately and kick some ass. Paraphrased. Kick some ass. It's good stuff. Uh, next question uh, from Norm Hull uh, at Norm Hull guy, 19 on Twitter. He asks, what are the odds the Lions actually address edge linebacker safety and wide receiver in the first five picks in the top 100 to put it another way? Do you think the lions will largely address their positional deficiencies or take the best player available regardless of position need? I mean, I feel like those are all positions that are also going to be the best player available. Like those are all positions that are fairly deep in this draft. It's true. And you, and you hope it falls that way. Yeah. That all those guys are available when you want them, but it's, it's my experience that it doesn't largely work that way. No, you're always at the, I mean, you're, you're never drafting in a vacuum and as many mock mock machines, you can run it through. You're throwing out, you know, 90 drafts where it didn't go your way to get the one to show, you know, to share on Twitter where it did go your way and you got all those positions. Right. Uh, And, and, and those, and again, I, I feel like I have to, reiterate a point that I've been making the past couple of weeks, which is the lines have needs now, but they have a whole bunch of needs later. And so yes, safety linebacker, wide receiver edge, those seem like immediate needs, but they also don't have a tight end. They also don't have a, a defensive tackle group that that's set in stone for the next four years. They also don't have, um, you know, corner set. They don't, they, they don't have a guard that I, I could see guard addressed early in, in this draft. So to me, 
it seems I, I would be very surprised if they're able to hit their top four current needs with those top five picks be nice, but it's also, they also shouldn't limit themselves to those four positions because guard is a long-term need because running back is potentially a long-term need. Yeah. I just advocate semi-advocated drafting for a running back um, wide receiver, whatever. Like there are just so many guys. And we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Ryan, like who is a foundational person anywhere on this defense right now that you can say down the line is going to be on this team and going to be part of the foundation. Nobody. The answer is nobody. And so they could draft any position on defense and ra- make a good rationalization for it. So I doubt that they hit all those four needs, but if, if it all lines up, then great. All right. Last question. I know Chris really wants to talk about this. So um, from at call me Matub on Twitter, he asks, how excited are you to watch the Panthers stomp the gamblers on Sunday? Now I will say this is uh, situational because we just learned that we might be getting an NFA football version of Fox tracks that the USFL wants to have a glowing ball. So you help locate it on the goal line when it, you know, when we get the scrums. So if that's in there, very, <laughs> if it's not, uh, I think, I think someone in our chat put it best. I'm ready to be whelmed by football. I, I'm well, I mean, is there any better way to set yourself up to, to have those expectations met than have a football team that's coached by Jeff Fisher. <laughs> Helmed by Shea Patterson on the field. I, I don't know with, with, with these leagues, I think I like to I either like to watch week one and then make my decision there. Or I like to try, just kind of step back and see what other people are saying, because I don't know, just there, I, there hasn't been good summer football. There just no, hasn't. no, no. And I don't and know like, if it's capable. I mean, it's such bad quarterbacks in the league too. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's background noise. Like the AAF, I, I think I'm going to treat this like I did the AAF where it's like week one, I'm all in to watch and I'm excited because there's more football on and it's not over. And then I'm sure by like, you know, week five or whatever it was, I'm going to be at like a Mexican bar and be like, Oh, Hey, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the Washington team up there. Yeah. You just, you made a a good comparison for me in that this is just like preseason football to me because I'm like, football's back, baby. I'm going to be super excited. Even when it's the third and fourth quarter, like I'm all interested in these camp battles I need to see. And then like, you really get in, like by the time that third preseason game hits and you're, you're sick of talking about the camp battles and it's the third and fourth quarter of that game. You're just like. I need real football. This isn't real football. I need real football. Yeah. I, I can't keep talking about guys that aren't going to make noise that aren't it, great football players anymore. I need actual football. I will say this. I I've never been one to like uh, hockey and the NBA postseason does not look enticing at all. It looks incredibly boring, especially if Steph Curry isn't playing. So my options are basically baseball, which I mean, tigers win. Great. I'll, I'll keep watching tigers and or usfl and every now and then i'm gonna need a i'm gonna need a break from baseball to get a little bit of football back in my life it's it's a methadone it's a very weak bad methadone but damn it i'll take a little bit what about you ryan i don't care (laughs) like honest like it's hard for me to treat this as a local team for me to be excited about when they're playing all their games in birmingham alabama not michigan I'm just so disinterested because what Jeremy just described with the preseason, I tried to do with the AAF and I I wasn't interested enough in it. 
And it's kind of, so it's nice to have a break from football every once in a while. Right. Like, but I still kind of feel like I'm in the thick of it with the draft, even though it's not actual football, like it's just something to keep my mind busy. But that time period of afterwards would feel like the right time to strike. So it feels like all the things are lining up for me to be interested in this. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not interested. I don't care. Yeah. I feel, I mean, on a, on a macro scale, I feel like the USFL is being stomped when the XFL does come back. And it's not like the XFL was a clear, was a high clearance of this bar either when it came back the first time. But I I think, I think they're going to like split the vote. Like it, and, and and tear each other down like maybe there, there, there can't be two there needs to be one and the fact that they're they're going to be two i i don't see either succeeding I'm, i don't think i don't think the usfl is good i don't think the usfl is going to be around next year it's i i i'm not saying an aaf tearing itself apart but they're not getting kind of the partnerships that they were hoping for from the nfl it feels like the xfl is getting all of those uh can i take us out of here guys let's go I want to, I, I want to come clean and I want to admit something. Um, I was addicted to the hokey pokey, but then I turned myself around. 